pickleball was. <laughs> For those of you interested, it's on page 21 of the Life Group catalog. It has an explanation. You, along with I, me, can learn what pickleball is. Um, if you could all join me in prayer this morning as we get started. Uh, Father God, thank you so much for this day, for this opportunity uh, to gather together in this community and, and learn more about you and worship you and just start 2018 off um, in recognition and thankfulness of the blessings that you have for us in the coming year. Um, God, I ask that you use this time this morning to, yeah, just to open our hearts to teach us um, how, to, how to follow your leading in what challenges, what, what new things you have for us this year, what things we might take on, what things we might resolve um, and really just continue our, our, to further our relationship and our walk with you. Lord, this morning I also think of those that our church has sent out throughout the world, just our many missionaries and ministers working in, in places all over the globe, um, and just want to shower them with prayer, Lord, want to ask that this morning they really feel a connection with you and that they know that their church cares for them, their church loves them, is praying for them, is praying for their needs, and I just ask that you would uh, bring them blessing this morning, Lord. A lot of them are facing difficult challenges. A lot of them are, are facing just, you know, seasons of uh, really needing to rely on you and lean into you. And so uh, I just raise all of those that we've sent out up this morning, Lord, and thank you for the privilege that it is to send those out into the world and, and to spread the gospel and to help people and, and bring light into their lives. Um, so just bless those that we've sent from our congregation here. And uh, for our own community, Lord, for, for here in Manhattan and for those that attend this church and, and live out your gospel in, in Manhattan, um, yeah, I, just, I pray that you continue to lead us in how we might best love our neighbors and best love those around us, especially during the winter months, Lord. Temperatures are dropping and people need generosity. They need us to help them find, you know, warm beds and warm food and just a, an opportunity to sit and, and know that they're cared for. And so open our eyes, Lord, to how we might be able to reach out to those in the community around us, um, especially as, you know, we get sub-zero temperatures at night. And just want to pray for the, yeah, the community that might not be able to, to have a safe home or have a secure place to stay. Um, lead them to meet people of generosity. Lead them to meet us um, and lead them into safe places uh, as, the, as the winter progresses here, Lord. Uh, but this morning, uh, draw our hearts to you. Open our eyes and our, and our minds and let the Spirit move powerfully in our hearts as we turn to, uh, turn to your wisdom here from Scripture in the, in the book of Judges. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well, this morning, we're going to be uh, taking a brief look at a story from the book of Judges, which is in the Old Testament. It's the, the seventh book in the Old Testament. It's right between, right between Joshua and Ruth. And Judges is a collection of stories about life, leadership, and really struggling, the struggling faith of God's people uh, in the 350-year period between Joshua, the leader of Israel, and, and King David when he uh, rose to, to his time and reign. And it's easy to, to read a book like Judges with rose-colored glasses and get swept up in all the, the stories and the tales of mighty men and women who, who fought off the enemies of Israel, who overcame insurmountable odds. And in the New Testament, many of these people are even celebrated as, as great conquerors of kingdoms and enforcers of justice. If you were to look at the 11th chapter of Hebrews, a lot of people from Judges are, are listed there as, as great people of, of defending God's people. Judges feels like something that was written by Tolkien or by, by Anne McCaffrey, except for these stories, of course, are, are much better because everything that we find in, in the book of Judges is true. Uh, there really was a woman named Deborah who was a brilliant tactician and leader for her people. There really was a guy named Samson who was blessed with, with supernatural strength in order to deliver the people of Israel. And as we will see today, there really was a guy named Gideon who uh, we'll learn more about as we look into the text, but he was called uh, to, to deliver the people of Israel against a force much larger than his own. Yes, Judges certainly has uh, a long set of, of pretty amazing stories, but if we look closer, we actually see that the stories of deliverance and the stories of victory are actually far outnumbered and overshadowed by those of disobedience and, and the breaking of God's covenant. 
See, Judges is a book that's filled with details of spiritual decline. This period of Israel's history was characterized not by greatness, but by failure. The author of Judges summarizes the problem that God's people faced in chapter 21, verse 25, when he says, everyone did what was right in his or her own eyes, chasing after wealth and pleasure and comfort. It's not too terribly hard for us to imagine what that's like. This book recalls a time of moral ambiguity, of ethical confusion, and religious disappointment. It is not, therefore, all that unlike the world we live in today. We, too, live and work in an era of gods and idols that seek to confuse our faith and draw us away from our relationship with God. And yet, Judges also reminds us of the incredible mercy and the grace of God, and that he extends that mercy and grace and forgiveness, first and foremost, to sinners like you and me. Over and over again, Judges tells the story of how the men and women in Israel fell away from their faith and how God continued to keep his covenant with them despite their resistance and rebellion. God alone is faithful and he is willing to give us that which we do not deserve. He is willing to love us and care for us in a way we can't earn. And he always comes to the rescue of the struggling, broken, and frustrated people that he dearly loves. The book of Judges forces us to take a good hard look at our lives and our faith and ask questions like when things get tough, when when life is hard, do we really believe that God is with us? If we really grasp this promise, if we really hold hold on to the the truth of how great God's presence is and how incredible the promise is that he is with us, what might we be able to face? What challenges this coming year might we be able to look at and face knowing that God is with us? Well, that's the the, uh, questions that we're going to keep in mind as we turn to to the book of Judges, chapter 6. And by the time we reach uh, chapter 6, the people of Israel have already gone through a series of, of disobeying God, Uh, and then receiving a righteous judgment from God, God punishing them and helping them understand what they've done wrong, and then being delivered by somebody that God raised up in order to to bring them back into into right relationship with him. And this chapter, like so many of the chapters before it, unfortunately starts out with a summary phrase, and the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, and therefore God allowed them to be overcome by their enemies. Now, this doesn't mean that that God isn't patient or loving and kind. In fact, he had been that over and over again throughout the first five chapters of Judges. He raises up such people as Shamgar, Deborah, and Barak, all to come and save Israel from from destruction, save them from their enemies. But the people continued to struggle to resist against the religions and and, and the false gods that that were in the lands that they were now living. And they plunged themselves further into trouble. And that's where we join them in in Judges chapter 6, verse 1. In Judges chapter 6, verse 1, we read, The people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord gave them into the hands of Midian for seven years. And the hand of Midian overpowered Israel, and because of Midian, the people of Israel made for themselves the dens that are in the mountains and the caves and the strongholds. For whenever the Israelites planted crops, the Midianites and the Amalekites and the people of the east would come up against them. They would encamp against them and devour the produce of the land as far as Gaza and leave no sustenance in Israel and no sheep and no ox or donkey. For they would come up with their livestock and their tents and they would come like locusts in number. Both they and their camels could not be counted. And so they laid waste to the land as they came in. And Israel was brought very low because of Midian and the people of Israel cried out uh, for help to the Lord. So in the response to idolatry and disobedience, God sends an invading force to to overrun Israel. And this force included 
a group of the Midianites, the Amalekites, uh, and, and just people of the East. They're probably a, a traveling nomadic tribe. And for seven years, these invaders destroyed crops and they, and they conducted raids and just brought all of Israel to, to the brink of economic ruin. The people were driven from their homes and had to take shelter in the caves and the mountains nearby. Israel is oppressed and out of options, and so they finally, in verse 6, cry out to God for help. And I don't know about you, but a few weeks ago when I was reading this, I felt a, a little bit of guilty camaraderie with Israel and how long they waited in their trouble before they finally broke down and cried out to God. For seven years, they suffered while surrounded by their enemies. They, were tri- they tried running, they tried hiding, they tried doing whatever they could on the, their own. I'm sure they tried to resist and fight back, and, and yet they found out that they could not overcome their enemy by their own strength. And I have been guilty of this sort of thing before, and I don't know, maybe you have as well, uh, of trying to fix all my own problems and fix what's going on in my own life long before or trying not to turn to God and seek the help that I know I need. And I've tried using my own strength and manipulating my own situation, leaning into my own resources. And I think that I do this, and maybe you've tried this as well, because it's a really good feeling to to be your own hero and to be in control of your own situation and go to God and to present him with all the things that you're capable of doing and the way that you're capable of living your life and and show him how strong and how resilient you are. But it doesn't take long as as we get into this and we we get into this false sense of security and self-sufficiency that we discover there's a lot in this life that we just can't overcome on our own. We, we get this false sense of control, and then we run into a problem that's bigger than we know how to handle, and soon enough it overcomes us and ends, us, ends up sending us running into the hills. You see, we're not really meant to be the heroes of our own story. Our sins and the wrong things that we do in the eyes of God, they, they cause us to fall short of glory. They cause us to fall short of salvation and drive us further and further away from the love of God. Thankfully, however, God is aware of this problem that we have. He's aware of the fact that we can't save ourselves, and he's always willing to step in and really, in effect, save us from ourselves. The book of Judges helps us uh, remember and understand that you and I are not meant to be the heroes of our own story. That's really meant to be God and God alone. We're not meant to save ourselves. You're not meant to walk through this world carrying burdens on your own. And if you're here this morning and you came in with, with burdens on your heart and just things that you feel like you've got to do, maybe you've got a lot of things you believe you need to correct in your own life, or maybe you're worried about your family and you think you need to step in and save them and, and correct everything that, that's going on within your family, or maybe you wake up in the morning and you turn on the news and you see everything that's going on in the world and you're just exhausted and you don't know how to interact with all the pains and the troubles of the world, but you feel that weight and you feel like there's got to be something you can do to help save people. If you came here like that this morning, I want you to try something. And admittedly, it's something that's very hard. It's probably not going to happen instantly. It's not going to be something you can just flip a switch and be done with. But I think it's something that is worth trying, even if it's just taking the first step this morning. I want you to let, let go, look up, and cry out to God. First thing is let go. I want you to let go of the idea that you're in control and that everything depends on you. It's a lie that we tell ourselves. That's a, that's a deception that we tell ourselves because, again, it feels good to believe that we're in control. It feels good to believe that we can be the hero of our own story. But what God tries to help us understand is that's not a burden we're meant to carry on our own. I want you to look up, raise your eyes, and raise your heart, and raise your hopes, and fix them on God. He's the one who's willing to help you, who's willing to give you strength, who's willing to give you what you need in those times to persevere and endure and, find, and use his own strength in order to make it through those hard times. And finally, cry out. Not only let God know you need him, but the funny thing is when we finally break down and let God know we need him, we also end up admitting to ourselves often that we also need God in our lives to deliver us from those, those difficult situations. 
Now, these are all really hard things to do because they require us admitting that we were wrong or that we're not enough or maybe that we even failed at something. And no one ever really likes to admit that they failed at something. But it also helps us abandon the idea that we can save ourselves and it leads us into a better relationship with God who is so willing and eager to be there and rescue us from our times of trouble. This morning, I encourage you to think about letting go, looking up, and crying out to God. That's what we see Israel doing in this passage. With their lands invaded and their economy destroyed and their homes overrun, they finally cry out to God. And like so many times before, God responds. This time, however, he responds a little bit differently than he has in the earlier chapters of the book of Judges. Usually Israel does something wrong, and then Israel finally breaks down and cries out to God. And then God responds by raising up a deliverer. He raises up someone to save them. But this time, he, he takes a little bit of time and he sends somebody to help Israel understand exactly what they've done wrong. And, and so that they can at least hear, if not fully understand, uh, what's going on, why they're in this situation, and how they might navigate their way out. And so returning to the text in chapter 6, and looking at verse 7, <clears throat> we go on to read. When the people of Israel cried out to the Lord on account of the Midianites, the Lord sent a prophet to the people of Israel. And he said to them, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, I led you from Egypt and brought you out of the house of slavery. And I delivered you from the hands of the Egyptians and from the hands of all who oppressed you and drove them out before you and gave you their land. And I said to you, I am the Lord, your God. You shall not fear the gods of the Amorites in the land that you dwell, but you have not obeyed my voice. So a prophet shows up. Israel cries out for a savior and God surprises them by sending a prophet. And this prophet rehearses the foundational story of Israel. He reminds them, God's already saved you before. He delivered you out of slavery. He brought you out of the land of Egypt and he gave you this space, this this land to dwell in and have as your own. And the one big thing that God asked of Israel not to do was worship the gods of the people that were in that land which of course is the one thing that Israel couldn't manage to stop themselves from doing, and they ended up blending their own faith with that of of the Amorites and the Canaanites and the people who were already living there. Israel, during their entire time in the land, really struggled with the idea uh, of the Canaanite gods. They looked powerful, they looked wealthy, and one in particular, Baal, uh, they ended up kind of wrapping into the fold of what their worship was. And so that brings out the condemnation in verse 10 from God, you have not obeyed my voice. The prophet's message is designed to bring about conviction, to help the Israelite people understand what they've done wrong. And this is an important part of letting go and looking up and crying out to God. We worship a loving God who is always ready and willing and eager to save. He's patient and he is kind with us. But part of this process is us being very real and very honest about the things that we've done wrong, about the things that we might be able to correct in our life in order to get back to that right relationship with, with God. This is, this is how we grow. It's, not, it's nobody's favorite part, but it's a necessary part. This is ha- part of how we grow in our faith. When I was in high school, um, the high school that I went to, every student was required to write a, a big research paper uh, their sophomore year in their English class. It was, it was kind of this, this famous paper that you had to write at my school. Uh, and there was one teacher in particular named Mr. Allen who was uh, infamous for his reputation and expectations for this paper. And of course, Mr. Allen ended up being my, my teacher. And so we'd work on this paper all year and you'd write little sections and you'd turn them in and then Mr. Allen would take out his red pen and just make the page bleed and just reveal all of your grammatical and analytical sins to you. 
and, uh, and you'd have to go up to his desk, you know, in front of the whole class, and he'd sit you down at his desk, and he'd grumble, and he'd, you know, he'd, he'd point out all these things, and it was just a terrifying grading experience. It just, you know, my, my legs would shake, and I just didn't know what to do going up, and it was really hard to, to be shown that this paper that I'd submitted that I thought was great uh, was actually less than great and did need some work, and so all throughout the year, he'd create these little sections, and then you'd, you'd put it back into one package and turned it in at the end of the year. And uh, I dreaded those grading sessions, but I also know that I'm a better writer and a better student because of the work that Mr. Allen was willing to do for me. He was willing to show me where I needed correction and then guide me into a a better way of doing things. And that's what we see God here doing with his people. As uncomfortable as it might make us to, to change, to mature and to grow, we can't do that unless we've been helped to understand what we've done wrong. God knows this, and rather than leave us hopelessly in our sins, he lovingly helps us understand the things that we've done wrong, and then he gives us grace, and he gives us forgiveness, and he invites us to try again and again and again and again. He is patient, and he is kind, and as we'll see in just a moment, he's with us every step of the way. So the people of Israel cry out to God, and God sends them a prophet to help them understand what went wrong, but they're still in need of rescue. And so continuing in chapter 6, we get introduced to God's latest plan to save his people from themselves. And he does this by recruiting a timid, snarky, bitter man named Gideon. And uh, this, this is God's plan. This is God's recruit to deliver his people uh, from their enemies. So continuing in, in verse 11 of chapter 6, we read, Now the angel of the Lord came and sat under the terebinth at Ophrah, which belonged to Joash the Abrazite. And while his son Gideon was beating out wheat in the winepress, to hide from the Midianites. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. And Gideon said to him, Please, sir, if the Lord is with us, why has all of this happened to us? And where are all the wonderful deeds that our fathers recounted to us, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and given us into the hands of Midian." So the scene changes, and we're introduced to two new characters. One's the, the angel of the Lord. And the angel of the Lord is this kind of mysterious, hard-to-exactly-define to uh, messenger of God that shows up throughout the Old Testament, uh, very typically, usually when Israel most needs a message from the Lord. So we've got the angel of the Lord sitting underneath a tree, and then we've got Gideon. And Gideon is said to be uh, trying to harvest his wheat in a wine press. This is a little hard to understand because we don't really have anything like this anymore, but let me try to... to paint the picture for you. Wine presses in ancient Israel uh, were big holes in the ground. And so they dig a big hole and they throw all their grapes in there. And then a little bit lower than that, there would be another hole with a, with a, you know, a, a line you know, going to them. And then you would put people in the bigger hole and they jump around on the grapes and squish them down. And the juice from the grapes would, would run down into the hole. And that's how they collect the, the juice for their wine. So that's, that's what the wine press was used for. Uh, Gideon is down in the hole, but he's not pressing wine. He's not using the, the wine press to make wine. Instead, he's brought whatever wheat he could collect and jumped down into the hole. And in order to hide from the Midianites, he's picking up his wheat stalks. And he's probably like smacking them against the walls, trying to get the gra- grain heads to fall off. And the reason that this was, the, the reason this worked this way is usually you would go out into an open field and you'd bring all your, you'd pile up all your wheat and you'd rake and you'd hit it around. And then when the heads had fallen off, you'd throw it into the air. And the wind would blow, and it would blow away all the extra chaff and all the extra all stocks and everything, and the heavier grain heads would fall to the ground, and you'd very quickly pick up your grain. 
Gideon couldn't very well do that because the minute he went out into an open field and started throwing his grain up into the air, the Midianites would say, hey, look, there's a guy we can go beat up and take all his grain and, and, you, know, and, take, and, and you know, take everything that he's got. And so Gideon got the idea, I'm going to jump down in this hole uh, and I'm just going to stay down here with my, my, my small harvest until I can get all the grain heads separated. This would have been uh, really silly looking. This probably would have been really embarrassing, a little pathetic looking. Uh, it's kind of like when somebody tries to catch or catch you opening a, a bottle with your mouth, you know, and, and they're like, what are you doing? That's, that's not how you open a bottle. Uh, someone could have walked up to Gideon and said, this is not where you, you know, you, you, uh, you thresh your, your, uh, your wheat. Um, so Gideon's in the bottom of this hole. He's kind of looking, you know, he's probably going to be really embarrassed if anybody catches him. He's looking a little silly. And that's where the messenger of God shows up. And he walks up to the edge of the hole and he says, greetings, O mighty man of valor. It's not exactly the most mighty or valorious situation to be caught in. And so it kind of sounds like the, the angel's like being sarcastic or, or maybe kind of, you know, throwing a little jab at Gideon. Uh, I, I promise you, or at least I highly doubt that's going on. Angels generally aren't rude to people. Um, but really what's going on here is I think the angel's telling Gideon a reality. He's saying, Gideon, listen, God's going to change things and he's actually going to use you to do it. And so instead of making fun of Gideon, he's actually declaring a reality of who Gideon really is over him. And Gideon totally misses, misses that point. It, it completely goes by him. And, and in his frustration and in his anger, he kind of fires back at the angel. And he says, you know what? If God was with us, these bad things wouldn't be happening. Uh, we'd be seeing his deliverance, but we're not seeing anything going on like that in the world around us. And so the only thing that Gideon can conclude in verse 13 is that God has abandoned them. And I don't think it's too much of a stretch to say that many of us, if not all of us, have felt this way at some point or another in our lives. When things get hard, it's difficult to believe that God's really there for us, uh, that he's caring for us, that he's got a plan going on, and, and it's even harder to believe that he might somehow use us to, to help us get out of the situation or even to help others get out of a difficult situation as well. But in life's toughest moments, it's helpful to remember that Jesus promised that no matter what trouble life brings, he's already overcome the world. It's that promise that he gave his disciples in, in, in the Gospel of John where he says, there's going to be trouble, there's going to be trials in this world, but take heart, for I have overcome the world. It's like the promise that, that Paul wrote in Romans where he said, you know, God can take all things and work them together for the good of those who love him. And so it's these kind of promises that we cling to when things are hard to understand, that when we cry out to God and we say, God, you know, remove this problem from me, take this away out of my life, this is too much to bear, sometimes God leads us into, a, into an opportunity to, opportunity to understand that he's not just going to take the problem away, but he's going to help us mature and grow into the kind of people who can handle and endure and persevere through the situation, and indeed even use us to help others get through the situation as well. Now, don't misunderstand me, just because God has us do this does not mean that it's easy. It doesn't mean that this is always going to be an easy walk or an easy thing to do, and Gideon's life would be full of challenges and things that he had to face. But what we see here is not so much that God's going to make everything easy, but that he's always going to be with us in those problems, and that we're going to, we're going to learn through that process to become more and more dependent on him and his strength. And that's the way he wants this relationship to work, and that's exactly what we see him tell Gideon in, uh, in verse 14 as we continue in chapter 6 in the book of Judges. In verse 14, it says, And the Lord turned to him, turned to Gideon, and said, Go in this might of yours, and save Israel from the hands of Midian. Do I not send you? And Gideon said to him, Please, Lord, how can I save Israel? Behold, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. And the Lord said to him, But I will be with you, and you shall strike the Midianites as one man. So Gideon is told that he is indeed someone that God has picked to, to save the people. He says, go in this might of yours, go in the strength of yours, go into the land. I'm going to send you to save the people. 
Gideon, unconvinced, states what's terribly obvious to him. He's in the bottom of a hole. Uh, he's got his meager wheat harvest around him. He, he's, his heart is full of anger and just frustration. He doesn't understand what's going on. And then he calls himself the weakest. And he calls himself the least. And he tells the angel that God's clearly picked the wrong man. How does God respond? This is the moment you don't want to miss in this story because this is the moment where we get early echoes of the gospel of Jesus Christ in the Old Testament, a thousand years before Jesus would walk the earth. Gideon says, how can I go? I am the weakest. I am the least. And God responds, yeah, I know, but I am with you, so it's going to be okay. That's that's the promise that God gives Gideon here, and Gideon would use that for the rest of his life. If you go on and continue to read in Judges chapter 6 and 7 and 8, Gideon is not exactly a model of faith. He has his good days and he has his bad days. Uh, He has his days where he really trusts in the Lord and and things go well. He has his days where he doesn't trust in the Lord and things go really pretty poorly. Uh, But God continues to work and love and keep this promise with Gideon all the days of his life. And Gideon never enters into a situation in which God is not walking with him there every step of the way. I will be with you. You're going to be okay. Jesus gave those who follow him that same promise. In the Gospel of Matthew, in in chapter 28, when he's talking to the disciples and he's giving them the the Great Commission, he's saying, go out into the world, share the gospel with all, go, you know, know, and and preach the gospel and baptize in my name. The last words that he gives to them is, then he says, before, before, uh, before he leaves them, is, I am with you even to the end of the age. Choosing to follow Christ, to confess our needs for forgiveness, and to live lives in joyous recognition of the things that, that God has done for us means that we are never alone. We're never alone in our joy or in our pain, in our celebrations or our hardships, in our loss or our grief or our brokenness. We love and celebrate a God who chose the name Emmanuel, God with us. Not against us, not over us, not apart from us, not distant from us. A God who was lovingly, passionately, and dearly with us every single day of our lives for the rest of eternity. If you're a follower of Christ, you will never again be alone. God is always going to be with you. And no matter what life throws at you, it's going to be okay. The question we're left with to answer is, is do we really believe this? Is this really something that you believe? Do you think you can go before God and say, God, I am tired, and I am the weakest, and I am the least, and I don't know how you're going to use me in this situation? Can you go before God and say that and trust that his response is always going to be, I know, but I'm going to be with you, so it's going to be okay? There's no universal way to make this happen. There's no like three steps to immediate trust in the Lord that, that, that I can give you this morning because it's going to be different for every situation that we're in. We all face incredible challenges and hardships every day and how God's promise plays out in those hardships is going to look differently for every single person. You know, for some people, God's promise is going to apply to things like job loss or, or just looking for a job and being frustrated and hurt and scared by the fact that, that you haven't been able to, to find one. For some people, maybe 20, in 2018, you're looking to starting a family and you're thinking about, uh, you know, starting a family uh, and, and that both excites you and absolutely terrifies you. And you're not really sure which day, which one you actually want to believe in more. God's walking with you uh, through that challenge as well. Maybe you've lost a loved one and you're struggling with grief. Or maybe you just wake up every day and you see the crises that are going on all over the globe and, and, and you see you know, corruption and just, and just a sin-stained world that is suffering and you think, God, I, I'm the weakest, I'm the least, and I want to help, but I, I don't know what to do. God's response to you every day before you walk out the door is going to be, I know, but I am with you, and so it's going to be okay. 
whatever hardship or challenge you face, remember that you worship a God who you can go before and honestly confess your weaknesses and your limitations, and he will still be pleased to walk with you and love you and be with you. He will always, always respond, I know you're tired and I know you're weak, but I am with you and I am never going to leave you. It's going to be okay. So let's go. Well, this morning, uh, we're going to enter into a time of communion. And communion is an excellent opportunity to slow down and remember this promise that God gave us and be thankful for the fact that he's always with us and, and be thankful for, for the reasons that Jesus gave us to, to celebrate this time that is a remembrance of everything he's done for us and the sacrifices that he made to be close to us for the rest of our lives. During this time, I encourage you all to, to ask God that whatever challenges lie before you, whether they're, they're new ones or old ones, whether they're ones that are coming in 2018 or, or ones that you're still dealing with from the past year, give them over to God. Feel free before the Lord to admit your limitations, to admit the places that you feel weak and you feel like the least, and know that he is eager to prove to you and to show to you that his promise that he is going to be with you is just as real for you as it was for Gideon. At faith, we, we celebrate an open communion, which means that anyone who believes in Jesus Christ is welcome to join us and participate in this. If you're with us this morning and, and you've not made a decision to, to follow Christ, we're very glad you're here. We're so excited for you to be here today. Uh, we just ask that as the bread and the juice pass around that you let it pass to the next person on down the aisle. Uh, we'll, we'll pass out the bread first, and we ask that everyone take it and then wait for everyone to receive it so that we can, uh, so that we can take it together as a community. Uh, and then the same will go for the juice as it comes around uh, the second time. If the servers could come forward now, and if you would all join me in prayer. <laughs> Father God, it is indeed a wonderful and incredible thing to celebrate how good you are to us, and how faithful you are to us, and how that promise that you will never leave us, and that in your strength and in the courage that you provide, it's going to be okay. And Lord, this coming to the communion, coming to communion, coming to the, to the Lord's table is an excellent opportunity to remember just how good you are and how close you are and how much you did so that we could have this kind of an eternal relationship with you. But through the life and death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, we can be in a, in a loving and close relationship with God once again. And we can always, someone we can always turn to and say, I, I need help, I'm, I'm feeling weak, I'm feeling low. And always be responded, I know, but I'm with you. And I love you. It's going to be okay. Lord, please take this time and, and move our hearts towards conviction, move our hearts towards thankfulness. Whatever we need to bring before you, Lord, I ask that you, uh, you use this time to prepare us for the challenges that we, we face as we leave here today. And use this time to be thankful for everything that you have done for us in Jesus Christ. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.